Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out, yeah, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who goes along with you. If I get drunk, on second and ten, Sanders though throwing, and Ah, the sweet, sweet taste of victory. Oklahoma 28, Oklahoma State 13, and a bedlam that here. I don't know if you guys caught this, if you listened to any of the um, post-bedlam comments from Oklahoma players and coaches. And I really should have gone back to specifically talk about which ones. Um, I know Braden Willis was one of them. Uh, I'm pretty sure Brent Venables mentioned it. But there were multiple players and coaches who who kind of hinted that this could be the last Bedlam game, and I, I, maybe just for me, it's the um, the reality is is setting in that that this is going to happen. OU is going to transition out of the Big Twelve into the SEC. It's it's a it's a move that I'm excited about, but again, I'm an old, as you guys like to say, the younger generation. Um, and so I, I got the nostalgia, man. I, I, I grew up in the Big 8, moved to the Big 12, now going on to the SEC. So for me, I'm excited about the SEC, but I'm kind of thinking, wow, this thing really is going to come to an end. And then other than that, I, I think the Big 12 is going to be a fun conference. Post Oklahoma and Texas leaving, I, I think adding BYU, um, bringing in Houston, uh, South South Florida. I, I just this is going to be a fun conference, in my opinion. Post OU and and Texas departing, but all that said, Oklahoma twenty eight to thirteen, and everyone was excited as they should have been about this win. And there's really two major ramifications that came from this big night in Norman on Saturday. Number one is Oklahoma's bowl eligible. And we've talked about this on previous podcasts. I think it was leading up to the West Virginia game. More recently, we talked about it. And and just that that extra amount of time. It, and and I'm, if you've listened to the podcast faithfully, first of all, I, I'll never stop saying thank you uh, for, for doing that. But secondly, this is going to be something that sounds very familiar because I've said it before. That bowl season, that bowl prep, it's basically an extra series of spring practices. You don't, If you don't win Bedlam, and let's say you lose in Lubbock, then your season's over with. Now you've won Bedlam, regardless of what happens in Lubbock, you're going to have the opportunity to get some of these younger guys. People would say, well, where's Jordan Mukes? You know, where's Gavin Salchuk? Where's this guy? Where's that guy? Well, those guys are going to have the opportunity not only to get more reps in, in meaningful, significant practices, but they're also, some of those guys are going to have to play in the bowl game. 
because every year you have the opt-outs. It wouldn't surprise me at all to see Eric Gray opt out. I mean, I, I think the guy's destined for the NFL. I think he's this is it. This is his last hurrah at the University of Oklahoma. No one would love to see him come back more than me. But I, I think, you know, when you lead your conference in rushing, when you when you when you run for, you know, he's gonna be close to fifteen hundred yards by the time they're done in Lubbock. I think you leave. I mean, you cash in your chips and, and you go. You're playing on house money at that point. Yeah, he could make more if he came back, but man, you got to cash in when you can. And and so I think there's going to be guys that are going to not participate, which means you've got a bunch of guys that not only are they going to get extra practices, but they're going to get extra playing time. And so bowl, bowl prep, is is monumental for for multiple facets of reasons. I mean, and and again, it's not just guys opting out to go to the to the NFL. And then there are a hand few guy hand handful of guys who are going to do that. But you're also going to have guys that are going to opt out into the transfer portal. There's no way you're going to convince me that there won't be guys that go into the transfer portal. And so again, you have you have guys that are going to get those extra reps in practice and probably going to get some playing time. And then that leads into spring. And so it's just a, an, another another big step of growth. And so it's huge that Oklahoma got that win number six. It'd be even better if they get win number seven in Lubbock next Saturday night. But we'll save that conversation uh, for later in the week. But the second thing that really happened is um, is that Recruiting really is is taking taking back off, and, and it's crazy what being bowl eligible will do, right? It's it's kind of like collectively, Sooner Nation is breathing a sigh of relief. I, I think you're going to see the team have that pressure off of them in Lubbock. I, I think you see the fan base just kind of walk out of the stadium, going, "Man." That was such a weird game, but not only did we win Bedlam, we're bowl eligible. And I think for the recruiting class that's developing, it's a pretty big deal as well. Now, it's going to be interesting what bowl Oklahoma ends up at because don't forget this early signing period, it's it's a month from today when I'm recording this. The early signing period opens up December 21st. And some of these bowl games are going to be right in that time frame where you're doing bowl prep and so forth. And then you got guys that are making their commitments. And, and no one knows at this point where Oklahoma is going to go. It, it, this is interesting. All right? I know I'm, I'm kind of ADD all over the place to start off the podcast, but think about this. As of right now, it looks like you're going to have TCU, one of the four members of the college football playoff. That means your your Big 12 runner-up is going to have a shot at the Sugar Bowl. Let's say it's Kansas State. All right, I think Kansas State handles their business against Kansas this weekend. So that's going to put, as it stands, that's going to put TCU in the college football playoff, Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl, Texas in the Alamo Bowl. I, I think the the one the, those those obviously college football playoff way out the window, but so is the Sugar Bowl. I don't think OU is going to. I think. There's no way OU goes to the Alamo Bowl, in my opinion. And I think the other bowl you can say there's no way OU goes to that bowl is going to be the Armed Forces Bowl. Now, as I said that, watch that be where they end up. 
to me, it's it's somewhere in the middle of those. So you got the Cheese It Bowl, you've got the Texas Bowl, you've got the Liberty Bowl, you've got the Guaranteed Rate Bowl. OU's going to one of those four, in my opinion. And it's going to be crazy to watch what happens with this recruiting class on December 21st in conjunction with how Oklahoma's preparing for the bowl. I mean, it's something something worth keeping an eye on. Um, but out of this game, Oklahoma wins, and then all of a sudden you have back-to-back commitments by three-star recruits on back-to-back days. So they beat Oklahoma State on Saturday. Sunday, um, you get the Ashton Sanders kid, a defensive lineman, and then Monday you get Taylor Wynn. And these are these are pretty important gets for the Sooners, and here's why. They're both guys that are starting to see their recruit their recruitment really take off. Oklahoma didn't offer either one of these guys until this month. And now they're both verbal commitments for the Sooners. And and I know what people are going to say, oh, but they're three stars. We want four stars. We want five stars. Yes, yes, we do. Very underrated three stars. Both of them. Ashton Sanders is, is the number 55 ranked player from the state of California, the number 73 ranked defensive lineman. If you if you miss out on DJ Hicks, Ashton Sanders is a guy that's going to come in and be that man at the defensive tackle position or nose guard. See, 6'1", 270 as a senior in high school. So you get him from California, and then you're able to pick up a Tennessee kid and Taylor Wynn. Again, a three-star recruit. But do me a favor. I, I know we always shamelessly plug the website, but go to Heartland Sports, heartland-sports.com, and look at the Taylor Wynn article. Watch his film. No way. There's, In my opinion, there's no way this kid could, should be a three-star. He plays way above that, and, and his the explosiveness of his recruiting really kind of sh- tells the tale. Follow that the timeline here on this kid. Uh, until recently, basically his offers were all max schools. Kent State, Miami of Ohio, Akron, Buffalo. That That's what he's got. Ohio, the Bobcats. And then November 9th, and, and that's what you're, that's what you're, by the way, that's what you're, a big part of what your ranking is based off of is what schools are offering you. Then on November 9th, Oklahoma rolls in and gives him an offer. That same day, Virginia Tech gives him an offer. That same day, USC gives him an offer. The next day, Ole Miss. The next day, Missouri. Two days later, Cincinnati jumps in there. And then Kentucky jumps in there. Right before the Bedlam game, Oklahoma State jumps in there and gives him an offer. He's in Norman. The only visit he's made, he's in Norman on the 19th. He commits to the Sooners on the 21st. This is a kid who's, yes, he's a three-star, but he's a three-star who's really starting to see an explosion in his offers. He's up to 25 scholarship offers. He only made one visit, and then he committed to the University of Oklahoma. This is crucial because, again, based off offers, it's a kid that probably would have ended up as a four-star. He's the number 23 player in the state of Texas, number 67 edge rusher. And you, you lost Colton Vosick from this class. Now you got Taylor Wynn who's going to come in and and I'm not comparing you. I think I think Vasek is 
is that player that's special. It's got that that it factor. But th- I, there's no way I would describe Taylor Wynn as a poor man's boss. He's going to be good, I think. He's got the frame, 6'5", 235, freakishly athletic. Like I said, just just go watch. Do, uh, do me a favor. Give me one page view and go watch the film. It's right there, and it's not very long, but it's enough for you to say, okay, yeah, Matt was right. This guy's way above three-star talent in the way he plays. So there, there's, that's where you are. You've got two commitments as of the recording of this podcast. And then you've got a couple of crystal ball predictions that are still out there. A four-star defensive lineman, Nigel Smith. Uh, you've got, um, he's the number six, by the way, defensive lineman in the class and the number five overall player from the state of Texas. You got a junior college cornerback, Kendall Dolby out of Miami, Oklahoma, uh, Northeastern Oklahoma A&M. Again, junior college guy, but he was the the conference defensive player of the year uh, up there in in Miami, Oklahoma. So those are guys that you might be able to expect soon to make their commitments to the University of Oklahoma. And then you got the big dogs. Now there there were a total between the twenty three and twenty four classes, there were a total of seven five star recruits on campus last weekend. But the big dogs that everybody wants to know about are David Hicks and Peyton Bowen. Now, if you follow the rumors, it appears, based off of the rumors, it appears as if Peyton Bowen has actually flipped from Notre Dame to Oklahoma. And, and there's there's several factors that I look at. You look at the girlfriend situation, which we've talked about. She's at OU. Uh, you look at the fact that he's there. You look at the fact that he's really been shopping around, and it's it's been widely speculated that he was in play somewhere. You look at Jackson Arnold being his his um, his high school teammate, and then Jackson Arnold Arnold making the you know, the thumbs up emoji or whatever it was uh, after the Bedlam game. And by the way, Jackson Arnold on campus this weekend, um, and you know he hosted was right there with Bowen, working, talking in his ear. But what I look at more than anything else is what is the other fan base saying right so i know what oklahoma is saying i know what the fans in oklahoma are saying i i know what the rumors are with peyton bowen but what are the notre dame fans saying and actually the notre dame fan base those that follow recruiting faithfully they're pretty much in meltdown mode right now because they they have come to grips that they're losing this kid he's not coming to notre dame where is he going? It could be Oregon. It could be Oklahoma. It could be, you know, who knows? But the point is, it looks like he's not going to go to Notre Dame. And and there's there's a lot of people who follow this more closely than I do, who make a lot of money following this, that are saying that he's going to flip to the University of Oklahoma. And that's good for OU. Because not only is Peyton Bowen a good friend of Jackson Arnold, Oklahoma quarterback commit, he also seems to be pretty tight with David Hicks. And everything's pretty silent on that front right now. You're not really hearing a lot about David Hicks. You know he was there. He did a couple social media posts. But it's been pretty quiet. And, and the thing is, is that um, he certainly seems to be in play. And, and here's what I think. I mean, this is Matt's personal viewpoint of this situation. 
I think his commitment, more than it was a commitment to Texas A&M, I think his commitment was an announcement to everybody like, hey guys, I need some money. If you want me, you're going to have to pay. Texas A&M is willing to pay, so here's my commitment to Texas A&M. Now, what are you willing to do? And it's all above board. It's all legal now. OU's jumping in on the NIL game. They're willing to play it. And so that's why you still see him taking other visits. That's why you still see him in the mix. Because more than it was a commitment to the Aggies, it was an announcement to other recruiting uh, bases that, guys, you got to pay up. You want me, I'm not going to come for free. And, and now programs are kind of setting themselves in position to play the game. And that's, I mean, that's just going to be the future of college football. But he still has, Hicks still has an official visit scheduled for Texas A&M just a few days before National Signing Day opens up. This early period opens up on the, on the 21st of December. Now, you look at this a couple of different ways. The first way you look at, well, okay, so A&M gets the match funds, right? So A&M gets a look at what Oklahoma offered and what Oregon offered and whatever. And then... A&M can say, okay, we're going to match that. Then that's one way to look at that. And if you look at that, it doesn't look very promising for the University of Oklahoma. But the other way you can look at that is this. Texas A&M is already a dumpster fire with what's happening, not just with their program, but with their fan base. This, this, this is already a sinking ship that Jimbo Fisher is the captain of. And when they, they owe him so much money they owe him so much money to fire him after this season that this is going to be a very, very nasty divorce. Even if they, they, they may not be able to pull it off. It may be one of those situations where they just can't see to eye, eye to eye. They can't pull it off. And then you got like mom and dad living with each other, even though they're not in love with each other anymore. And the kids notice that, right? It's a terrible metaphor, but that's the way I'm going with it, I guess. And you're already seeing guys from A&M jump into the transfer portal. No way they're going bowling. So you're already seeing guys into the transfer portal. You're going to see that increase exponentially after Saturday when they close out their season. And then you got to wonder, what's going to be there for David Hicks when he goes to College Station? Who are they going to put him with? What coach is going to look him confidently in the eye and say, yeah, I'm going to be here next year. Or if they do find a way to part part ways with Jimbo Fisher, are they going to have a new coach by by December twenty first? Are they going to are they going to talk David Hicks into putting off signing on December twenty first and waiting until February? This is going to be a, a crazy crazy finish for David Hicks, and I don't know. I I don't I honestly don't think he knows, but he's definitely in play. He's definitely playing the money game, and Oklahoma is going to be a factor here. Now, can they can they get across the finish line with him? We'll we'll know sometime. If he doesn't sign with OU on on December twenty first, if if Texas A and M does either get him to sign or convinces him to wait till February, if they're doing a coaching search or something along those lines, that's not a good sign for OU. So I think OU is either going to get David Hicks on the 21st of December or they're not going to get him at all. 
But there you have it. it. It was more than just a game in Norman on Saturday night. It was there was a lot more to that. And uh, Oklahoma comes out twenty eight to thirteen on top of Oklahoma State. We've got your take on it with the uh, true or false question statements. Uh, I got a couple more opinions on the game itself, and we'll delve into all that right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, so we talked about some of the fallout, you know, the uh, the good of winning Bedlam. With uh, You look at bowl eligibility. You look at what it's doing on the recruiting front for Oklahoma. But let's talk about the game itself. I've got a couple of my own thoughts, and then I'm going to share what you guys um, – what you guys had down there, but um, uh, through your true or false statements. But, um, you know, here's the thing. It was a weird game. It just was. You, you got that 28 to nothing opening quarter. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm there, and I'm thinking, I, I'm going back to the, the Texas, the Red River rivalry blowouts. I'm going back in my brain to the jump around game against Texas Tech. I, I'm just thinking about those big moment games where, not just the crowd, but the team showed up. And then that after that first 15 minutes, it was just weird. I mean, it was. It was just weird. I mean, you still had things to you had things to cheer about because, you know, the defense was forcing turnovers and making pressure and plays all night long. But you just kind of had, even though you had a, a four touchdown lead. You still just kind of had this uneasy feeling. Now, what's great about that first quarter, though, in, in my opinion, is is that I, I think I think it's just a glimpse of the potential of what Oklahoma can be like in the future. When you think about the offense clicking, you think about the defense and that relentless pressure, turnover after turnover after turnover, and Oklahoma State just couldn't get anything going on either side of the ball. And if you think about it, and also it could have been worse because you you had 28 to nothing, but you had Dylan Gabriel miss Eric Gray and what definitely would have been a touchdown. And then you had the Braden Willis fumble on a drive that, worst case scenario, you're thinking it's going to be a field goal. So that, that could have been a 35-38, 42-point quarter, honestly, for Oklahoma. But it was what it was. It was, it was 28 to nothing, and the Sooners just kind of ride that that wave of momentum throughout the, the last 45 minutes of the game. And I know it was frustrating to, to a lot of people that the reality is I don't, I don't know that it was, I, I don't want to jump ahead of, of some of these true or false statements, but here's the thing. Sometimes effective football is not fun football. 
And when you're up 28 to nothing, you don't really have to gamble a whole lot. You know, and so you can dial things back a little bit. Don't you look, it is what it is. Oklahoma State's offense does have explosive potential. And let's not act like Oklahoma's defense has been world beaters this year. And I'll take that first quarter Oklahoma defense any day of the week. But also we've seen the We've seen the the defense that played Texas, and we've seen the defense that played Baylor, and we've seen the defense that played TCU. We've seen the defense that really just gets flat-out abused. And that's what Oklahoma has going on its sideline. That's the potential that's there. So you've got a 28-0 lead. Why? Why push it from that point further? Why, Why take risk? And I get it. I get what the defense was doing. And Oklahoma State never figured that out. The the offense needed to make adjustments. It it did kind of go into a shell and it needed to make adjustments. Oklahoma State adjusted defensively to what Oklahoma was doing offensively. But the Cowboys never could really balance out what the Sooners were doing defensively. And there wasn't a lot of adjustments needed for Oklahoma defensively because coverage was there all night. Pressure was there all night. And yeah, they broke off some runs. Yeah, they made some they they made some deep passes. But that's the game of football. But defensively, Oklahoma won this game from start to finish. And as critical as we've been of the defense this season, I think you gotta at least point out the fact that this Bedlam victory was a hundred percent on what the defense did even though the offense put him out 28 points in the first quarter. So what do you guys have to say about it? So let's jump in here. True or false statements, by the way, uh, you can participate with your own true or false statements anytime you want to. Um, Each podcast, I guess it's the second shameless plug for the website. Each podcast has its own dedicated page at heartland-sports.com. You can jump in there, drop a comment. We'll try to jump in there and read those and put them on the podcast. You can also hit us up on Twitter at sports heartland and uh, we'll get them that way or good old fashioned email still works. Heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. If you've got a thought or statement you want to throw out there, we got five. We had to dial it back again this week. So if I didn't get you in here, I'm sorry, but um, we, we, this isn't an episode that's dedicated fully to your true or false statements like we've done in the past. So we dialed it back to five. Uh, I picked them. Here we go. Uh, true or false bowl eligibility bowl. I can't even read. Uh, Damien says this bowl eligibility save Brent Venable's job. And I threw this in here and I don't, and this is from Damien and I don't mean to pick on anybody, but if you're thinking that Brent Venable's job was in jeopardy after season one, you're really not in tune with reality. I think BV is, I mean, he's three years deep before really there starts to be pressure mounting. Like if they don't improve and in 23, he'll go, he'll go into 24 with a little bit of pressure. They don't improve in 24. Then, then the heat is really, really turned up. But I also don't know that there's a lot of people out there. You know, there's always the Debbie Downers, the negative Nancy's and Oklahoma, like any other fan base has its fair share of that type of, that type of fan. I can tell you one, he sits in section 18, but, um, and not me, by the way, someone who sits near me in section 18. But that said, Brent Venable's job was never in jeopardy. At, at, at the worst, 
maybe a coordinator or assistant coach. At the worst, if heads were going to roll after this season, it was going to be uh, in the coordinator or assistant position. It was never going to be Brent Venables. So, yeah, so this is false just on the premise that Brent Venables' job was never in jeopardy. Never. Never once did Joe Castiglione have the conversation, Brent, if you can't get us to a bowl game, we're not going to uh, we're not going to continue this contract into next year. Never once was that a conversation. Never once. So yeah, so we're false here because the job was never in jeopardy. All right, Dave says this, uh, true or false, this was the best defensive performance for Oklahoma during conference play. Dave, I'm going to take this step further. I think this was the best defensive performance for Oklahoma all season long. And I know early in the season, you 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 had the the non-conference portion of the schedule. Um, and, and that game in Nebraska, defense played well. Um, and, and so I don't want to... I don't want to like give a slide to any of those, right? But when you're looking at level of competition, so that, let's look at a couple of things, okay? Preseason was what? UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska. And I say preseason, I mean non-conference play. And then you run into the problems against Kansas State. You run into the problems against TCE. You run into the problems against Texas. You start to rebound and... And and Iowa State was better. Kansas was okay. I mean, you gave 42 points to Kansas, but still, when you look at what Oklahoma State has done traditionally with their offense, and you look at this being a rivalry game, six sacks? Oklahoma sacked Spencer Sanders six times. Oklahoma State ran... 102 offensive plays. This was a huge performance by Oklahoma's defense. The defense was on the field for 102 snaps and only gave up 13 points. If you were think about it from this perspective, Dave, if you were to go into this game and you and I are walking next to each other, going into the stadium. And I said, hey, by the way, I can tell the future. Here's what's going to happen in this game tonight. Number one, Oklahoma's not going to score a point in the second, third, or fourth quarters. And number two, Oklahoma State is going to run 102 offensive plays against this Sooner defense. I'm willing to bet there's 0% chance you're going to pick the Sooners to win this game. But that's exactly what happened. And Oklahoma comes out on top, having given up only 13 points through 102 defensive plays. So yeah, I I agree with you, Dave. Not only was this the best defensive performance in conference play, in my opinion, we saw the best defensive performance we've seen all year out of this team. And and it's guys getting healthy. It's guys finally... Not not that they're buying in finally, but it's, it's starting to click. They've bought in. They've put in the work, and now it's starting to click of what they want to do. For example, think about Billy Bowman's interception. He totally baited Spencer Sanders into throwing that pass. So that is an underclassman, a sophomore defensive back, baiting the preseason Big 12 offensive player of the year into throwing the pass that he shouldn't have thrown. That's how far, that's how much progress this defense has made. 
great, great performance. All around great performance. Pressure, coverage, it was all there. Uh, Abby says this. <laughs> Here we go. Abby and Damian may be friends. Again, not picking because everyone's a, everyone's entitled in opinion, okay? Everyone gets their opinion. That's what makes the internet so great. That's what makes podcasts and blogs fun because everybody gets their opinion. And I don't agree with the opinions of everybody. And I know everybody doesn't agree with, with my opinions. But yet here we are. Abby says this, true or false, Jeff Levy should be fired. And Oklahoma fans, really, we really did run the gauntlet of emotion with Jeff Levy. Did we not? Because Dylan Gabriel sets a record for passing yards in a quarter in the first quarter. Oklahoma sets a record for touch, a bedlam record for, for points in a quarter with 28. And then people are still talking about firing Jeff Levy. And and there were there were some there were some not good moments from this offense, okay? True true to form, there were some not good moments. I I didn't I, I didn't really agree with the way they ran the clock. I mean clock management. I, I feel like there's way, way too much time on the clock late into the game, third, fourth quarter, way, way too much time, especially even in the fourth quarter, way too much time on the clock to snap the ball. I, I think Jeff Levy even admitted to this. Okay, he he's on record saying, "Yep, this was on me." He he got too conservative. But I think it also goes back to what I said earlier in this podcast. When you've got a four touchdown cushion, why push the envelope? I know we want it from an entertainment value, but again, effective football isn't always entertaining football. So I don't think Jeff Levy should be fired for, for I'm going to give you two primary reasons why, Abby. I, I, I do agree. Again, I, I, can, I understand there's criticism. And there's legitimate room for criticism. But in the, same, in the same breath of what I said about Brent Venables, I think that applies to Jeff Levy. Oklahoma fans probably don't want to hear this. But the Sooners have a, a top 25 offense. Every, who wants to fire? Who wants to fire an offensive coordinator whose offense ranks top 25 in the country? Better yet, who wants to go and be an offensive coordinator at a program that fired an offensive coordinator because they were top 25 in the country? Oklahoma ranks 22, 22nd nationally in total yards. 22nd nationally in yards per game and 13th nationally in rushing yards per game. And we want to fire that guy? So no, it, it's not happening. It, it's, it's not happening. And, and here's, here's the, the second reason, which is equally as important. And Oklahoma fans, got, you've got to get this, okay? You got, this has to sink in for you. Jackson Arnold is committed to Jeff Levy. If, if you want Jackson Arnold on campus, then Jeff Levy has to be on campus. Because you're, you're not getting one without the other. You don't like what Jeff Levy's doing? You want to see Jeff Levy get fired? Then you're also not going to want Jackson Arnold on campus because it's, it's not happening without Jeff Levy being here. 
And then to take that another step further, Oklahoma, in my opinion, has zero chance to get Peyton Bowen if Jackson Arnold's not here. I mean, I, I know the coaches are, are doing a great job at recruiting. The coaches are in his ear. But do you know who's in his ear? Do you know who's at every practice? Do you know who's on the sideline for every game? Do you know who's in the locker room every time? Yeah, that's Jackson Arnold. So Jeff Lebby's here. You just got to deal with it. I know it wasn't sexy. I know it wasn't great. I think we've we've covered that. Uh, and the days coming from Bedlam, Jeff Lebby's mentioned it himself. It is what it is. I, I think as we expect the defense to improve, we should also expect the offense to improve. Kevin says this, number four, true or false, this is the best crowd of the season. Uh, Kevin, I didn't make it to every home game. Uh, you guys listen to the podcast. You know my I travel. Um, so I didn't make it to every home game, but I will tell you this, of the home games that I've been to, absolutely. Absolutely the best home crowd of the season. And And, you know, we really thought that that Kansas State game could had the potential to be to be fantastic, but it wasn't. I mean, it, it wasn't, and 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 it was maybe it was the game, but whatever. But this crowd, this crowd from start to finish, best crowd I've been at this season, and it really started before the game even even kicked off. I'm I'm in section 18. The uh, the OSU band was in that end zone, down in the north end zone, uh, northeast corner, and the crowd was so loud, and the students get the students get the credit for it. But the crowd was so loud when when the OSU band played their alma mater, their song before the game started, you couldn't hear. And and I'm I'm in the same end zone as the band, and you couldn't hear the band over the crowd. So yeah, Kevin, that hands down, true. That is, you're right. Best crowd of the season. I haven't watched the game on TV yet with volume, so I can't really tell you how that bled through uh, on your television if you watched it there. But I, I can tell you this: for me, from my from my perspective, in my opinion, fantastic home crowd. Um, all right, here. Last but not least, Taylor says this: um, Michael Turk deserves some MVP consideration. Taylor, I think you're talking about the Bedlam game, not the season. And either way, I, I think you're true here. Um, the, I, I do agree with this. And, and let's be honest, before we jump in here fully about Michael Turk, uh, can we not say that uh, Michael Turk was probably the biggest winner on Saturday? Because not only did he win on senior night, but he won against the you know, one of your top three rivals, top two rivals, just depending on how you look. When you look at the Nebraska game this season, probably ranks three and uh, in, in the, the level of the rivalry. You got Texas, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, but you get a big win over your rival on senior night. And then you pose to your girl, propose to your girlfriend, who, by the way, is an All-American softball player, best shortstop in the country. And she says, yes. So Michael Turt, yes, the biggest winner. When you're talking about MVP consideration, the dude was money in in the field position battle. 11 punts, 49 yards per punt. Three of his punts were were downed inside the 20. Michael Turk had 539 punt yards. Think about that. 539 punt yards. Oklahoma State's offense had 484 total yards. 
Oklahoma's offense, 434 yards. Michael Turt had more punting yards than either of the offenses had yardage. So, yes, uh, Taylor, I'm fully on board with you. Let's, let's give Michael Turk some MVP consideration. Um, I think also you got to look at Dylan Gabriel. I know that's going to make some people not super, super happy, but but this is a game where Dylan Gabriel put him up. You know, he, two passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, 20 of 40, a 50% completion, not perfect, 259 passing yards. Um, and let, let me, let me go back to this Jeff Levy and, and people, cause I, when I think about the, the completion percentage, there were multiple drops again in this game. And I think the guy that that's probably the, the, the most egregious here is going to be Jalil Farouk because you, you've got some first downs, you've got some momentum, you've got some, you know, you're, you're building something with these offensive drives. If Jalil Farouk catches a few of the passes that he dropped. But I think offensively, you got to look at at Dylan Gabriel as your as your MVP. Defensively, man, I don't. I, where do you go? Danny Stutzman uh, was was fantastic. Uh, nine nine total tackles. David Igwebu ten total tackles. Um, you had uh, what what was it? Jordan Kelly with two big sacks. You got the interceptions. I mean, the, I, you you pick a guy for me. I, I think. I think Deshaun White is my guy uh, because he had the interception. He had the sack. He had eight total tackles, one of them for loss. So defensive MVP, give me uh, give me Deshaun White uh, with uh, hat tips of Woody Washington, Danny Stutzman, David Aguebu, and some of these other guys. C.J. Colden, big play with the first interception. Um, and by the way, C.J. Colden, he may be a keeper. He came out and 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 was presented with the seniors, but he has another year of eligibility. And uh, I, I think I think OU is going to get him back, and I think they're going to be happy about that in 2023. All right, we'll do the Big 12 rundown, uh, closing thoughts, and uh, we'll wrap it up. So the Big 12 championship is going to come down to one of three teams. It's set in stone. Only three teams are in the running there, and that's going to be TCU, who's locked in already to Arlington, Kansas State, who was 17 points better than West Virginia, and Texas, who just obliterated Kansas over the weekend. Texas needs some help, and we'll break in. We'll, we'll get into all that here in a minute, but let's run down uh, the Big 12. Oklahoma, 28-13. to 13. I, I, picked, I picked the Sooners to win this game. Oklahoma State was a 7.5-point underdog. I picked them to cover, and then I took the under, right? The under was 67. All of that's in jeopardy at the end of the first quarter. And then it all kind of comes down. And so I, I miss Oklahoma state covering the seven and a half, but I got the OU win. I got the under and um, just, I get again, happy with the result. Absolutely crazy game in Norman on Saturday night, Kansas state. I, I had West Virginia being a way more competitive. Uh, Kansas state just um, kind of jumps out. They had a 28 point first quarter as well. It's just the difference between West Virginia and Oklahoma state is that the Mountaineers responded back with 19 uh, first quarter points. That game was nuts. 67. Excuse me. Math is hard. 47 first quarter points. That was pretty crazy. Uh, Texas. I mean, they're, they're just steamrolled. 
Kansas, and I didn't see that coming. So not a good week of picking Big 12 football. I think the only game I was close on was Texas Tech at Iowa State. Um, the Red Raiders 14 to 10 over the Cyclones, and um, and you know eight teams, eight of the 10 Big 12 teams are going to go bowling, and and that's that's it, it possibly creates a little bit of a conundrum for the conference because you've got seven tie-ins. If you're the Big 12, you've got seven bowl tie-ins. So as as it stands right now, you got TCU probably heading to the college football playoff. But let's say Kansas State or Texas upsets the Horn Frogs in the Big 12 championship game. TCU's not getting to the playoff without a Big 12 championship. So let's say that happens. So right now you've got, like, for example, Kansas State. Let's say they're the runner-up. They're going to the Sugar Bowl if TCU is in the playoff. If TCU loses a Big 12 championship game, then suddenly you've got eight teams that you've got to put into seven bowl slots. So that pushes everybody down a spot, and someone's going to have to get an out-large bid to to another bowl. Like, I mean— there's no chance that the Big 12 would tie into this, but like the Bahamas Bowl or one of these other bowls will have the opportunity to take a Big 12 selection because you've got eight teams for seven spots. Does that, that make sense? So it's going to be interesting to see. Baylor plays at Texas on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. It's 11 a.m. kickoff, and uh, and that's that's step one for the Longhorns. It's a two-step process. You know, TCU's already in, but it's a two-step process for Texas to get to Arlington. Number one is they've got to beat Baylor at home. Uh, the Longhorns are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite over the Bears in that game. Step two is going to take place Saturday evening on Fox. Kansas plays at Kansas State. The Wildcats are 12-point favorites in this, and what really doesn't bode well for Texas is what they did to Kansas last week on the Jayhawks' home field. Kansas got thrashed. Kansas is already bowl eligible. They're a 12-point underdog in Manhattan in a rivalry game, and you need them to lose to get to Arlington. The road is long. If you're if you're a Longhorn, the road is long for you to make it to Arlington, but it's still there. I mean, it's still there. You know, Iowa State is out. Oklahoma's out. Oklahoma State's out. Texas um well, Texas Tech is out. I mean, look, there's three teams that are that are that are in, and you're one of them if you're Texas. But the problem is that TCU's driving on the turnpike with an 80 mile an hour speed limit. Kansas State's driving on I-35, and like Texas is on historic Route 66 because they they've got a bumpy long journey if they're going to get there, but they can still technically get there. And that's what this weekend is going to shake out if you're looking to see what's going to happen in Arlington a week from Saturday. So if you're looking at, at football to watch this weekend, there, there's the method behind the madness. You've got you've got Oklahoma and Texas Tech, another primetime game at night. FX, uh, uh, FS1 is, is, is broadcasting that 6.30 kickoff. But then the game within the game is going to take place on Friday in Waco, excuse me, in Austin with Baylor going to Texas and then in Manhattan, Kansas at Kansas State. That's going to seal the fate for somebody. And um, we'll just, we'll be here for it, right? Uh, you can catch us every day on the internet. 
heartland-sports.com is where you can find us. We're so thankful for everyone who reads, everyone who comments, everyone who listens and downloads the podcast. Speaking of which, you can find the podcast just about anywhere that you find podcasts. We love subscriptions. We love positive rank, uh, ratings. Um, if you don't like it, don't listen. That's okay. It, wasn't, it won't hurt our feelings. Uh, but uh, thanks for, uh, for, for doing that. And then uh, on Twitter, at Sports Heartland. Enjoy your week. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm going to try to get one out, another podcast out Thanksgiving evening. Uh, we'll just have to see how that, how that goes. But uh, happy Thanksgiving, just in case I missed that. And uh, Boomer Sooner, everybody. Why?